listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, The Running Public. This is The Running Public's Training Tuesday. Training Tuesday is where we talk about training only. One topic, we dive deep, we explore it completely. It's training, it's Tuesday. Training Tuesday. Tuesday, Tuesday, Tuesday. Bracken, I got a twinge of envy uh, seeing you in that shirt this morning. Oh, yeah? Well, I do. Um, because that shirt, Bracken is wearing a mud gear shirt. Back when it was like, I don't know, I felt like it was like a big deal to be selected for the mud gear pro team. Oh, yeah. They had financial reimbursements. They gave us gear, and I love the mud gear, especially their shirts and their socks. And I applied and made the team in 2017. It was a big deal. For me, it was a huge deal. I was really Mm -hmm. trying to make a push in the sport. And they sent me that exact shirt as part of my welcome package. And it was amazing. And somewhere in my move, I lost that shirt, Bracken. Did you really? I don't own that shirt anymore. I don't know where it went. And it makes me jealous. There are, I would say, probably 80% of my wardrobe. If you said I had that shirt and lost it, I would pack it up and send it to you. But this one's off the table. You, you can't have it, and it's not because of me. It's because Lisa has claimed this shirt as hers, and she's probably upset when this episode comes out and sees me wearing it. Well, I can see why, because it's it's like one of those half-size-too-small-on-you kind of shirts mm-hmm. where it really hugs you tightly, so it could fit a female figure, <laughs> let's say, in your household, as well as it could fit, yep. <laughs> fit a semi-male figure, right? It's generous, <laughs> and it's so soft. <laughs> It's so soft. That's what I miss about it most. It was like a very symbolic entry into like somewhat in quotes making it in OCR. That shirt was part of my initiation into that. And it's uh, it's gone. I don't know. I had to, I don't know, purge the house when we moved. And I think that one just didn't make the cut. And I mm-hmm. regret that. that. Now we're speaking from a place of privilege because not everyone receives a sponsorship in their lifetime. But in that place of privilege, there is no better feeling, I believe than the first item you receive from a company, that welcome package. I've worked with not the most companies of any person ever, but enough to realize that everything that happens after that fact, you're a little bit, I don't know, jaded. You're just numb to the process. That first welcome package, no matter what's in it, you just feel like a freaking boss. Mm -hmm. And that first, like that first sponsorship, a lot of times are like, like you must post once a month. You must <laughs> promote this product. You must hashtag this and do that. Like that was a lot of the entry into the social media sponsorship game. And there wasn't much of that with Mud Gear. I haven't talked about or thought about Mud Gear a lot uh, in recent years, but I remember like it was a very non-demanding sponsorship. It was yes. just like, yeah, wear our stuff. Have it on the podium if you can when we used to be able to swear what we wanted up there. Mm-hmm. And we'll even send you a bonus if you land on it. It was just like uh, yeah, good all the feels, the good feels towards Mud Gear. It was a good run. So I've probably gone two years without saying the word Mud Gear, I would guess, somewhere yeah. around there. And this is the second time it's come up in 72 hours. Hmm. Had a visitor this week, oh, Mr. Michael Ferguson. Mike Ferguson graced us with his presence, and he had on a Mudgear shirt, and Alo's like, my mom has a shirt with that fist on it. He's like, yep, I think we all have that same shirt. We were all on the same team back then. And our, my kids don't remember Mike. 
past your wedding. They know who he is. They know oh. the name, but they don't have met. The last time we had seen him was when we were living in Lake Geneva. <clears throat> so it's been over four years and Mira's six. Mm. So she doesn't even remember him, but he stayed over. We had a, we hit a trail run, made some nachos together and Mike's great with kids. So they all had a blast with them. But yeah, Mud Gear came up twice this weekend. That man does love his nachos. Well, yes, he does. does. I didn't put together that the mud gear thing was a fist because it's like a three fingered fist. I never really put that together until I was like into the sponsorship. And then I was like, all right, it's an M and a fist, which doesn't add up to like a hand, but they did their best. I've come to two realizations uh, this week, actually, like the last couple of days and then this morning's run in particular. Okay. Um, One. This is very minor. I threw my first pair of alpha flies in the trash. You did. We got a dumpster outside. We have a remodel going with our bathroom. If you hear some banging today, that's what's going on. And I was like, these things, rest in peace. I threw them away. And that felt ceremonious for me as well. How many did you you how saw many those miles? alphas. How many miles did you get out of them? Because when I saw them, they were already looking like a pet had had its way with them. Yeah, they're chewed up to the back where I've blown through all the actual rubber in the heel, and that all mm-hmm. peeled off, and now it's just the soft, squishy foam. And I dug into that about an inch. So if you weren't four-foot striking, it was like walking in one of those, like, remember those jumping shoes the jump they used shoes, to make yeah. with the... They kind of looked like the jump shoes with like the big front. <laughs> and I was walking out to do my run and I was like digging into my heels, with my toes in the air this morning. Like before I started running, you can't even walk in them properly. I was like, this is going to be it guys. I'm sorry. I'm going to take you for one last rip around the lake and then you're, you're out. So I think I got about a thousand miles in them. I would That's say outrageous. 700. So yeah. a $285 shoe, right? right 274, mm-hmm. I think is what it is, is outrageous. But if you got a thousand miles, probably two to three fifty of those had some pop to it, and then the next mm-hmm. seven hundred were just cushioning, you know, impact dampening. That's suddenly a really, really good deal. Yeah, use them for the things that matter the first three hundred miles, and then you downgrade that pair to like a recovery shoe, uh, recovery shoe, I guess. And then you sub in the new version for your quality stuff and you recycle them that way. That's what I tend to do with the super shoes. Use them for quality first. Once they start to go just a little bit, they get downgraded to recovery uh, and rinse and repeat. Then the other thing I realized is I I need a break. I'm tired. Okay. These bones are tired. I need to take, I think I'm going to take 10 days off coming up here and just rest. I haven't realized, and I want to get your take on this part of it. This is the reason I'm bringing it up is um, I'd been unfortunate enough for years to be forced to be sidelined from running due to injury. So for mm-hmm. like a two to five year span, I never took a formal break from running because every so often it would just be dis- decided for me. Mm-hmm. And so I haven't taken a break from running due to injuries for two and a half, three, almost three years. Two and a half, three years. Let's call it three years. And I'm realizing like those have been built in for me for decades. Right. Like oh, take you're a used to getting running. a break every few months. And now it's <laughs> right. Even if I'm cross training through, it's no impact. And so I'm at this point where like the last since my last 5K race, it's like I just don't want really want to be doing this. Or I'll push a quality day back, and I'm still getting good work in. But every run, I'm like, I don't want to be doing this. I don't want to be doing this. I'm doing it because it's habit, and that's how it. You know, I'm disciplined, mm-hmm. but. I think I'm just going to take a random time off. And it came in 
the reason it's ironic is we had a recent episode about like if you're going to end your season, end it with purpose and go out with a bang. And I'm just gonna, I think, let mine fizzle out. You're gonna go out is with that a whimper. Lame of me. I'm gonna go out with a whimper. And I just want to get your thoughts on that. This is a great follow up to that episode. The caveat is your season ends the moment your body can't continue what you're doing. You don't overreach one last time if you're already on the edge. If you can see the edge, you stop. There's no sense having that edge fall out from underneath you. So no, I I, I think that's the absolute perfect way to do it. Go out with a whimper. Uh, it's just a hypocrisy just riddled throughout me deciding to pull the plug unceremoniously, but it, it is what it what it is, right? And I think yeah. I could taper in. I could deload pretty hard for like 10 days and probably pop something, right? I could get my bigger back and I could probably be charged up and ready to go. But there's nothing that I have in the immediate future. And so yeah. I think I'm just going to kind of hold status quo for a week or two and run for my, my mental health and for habit and then probably take the middle of the month off or so but the reason and then the other thing i wanted to run by you and typically guys this would be a conversation we'd have off mic but i've just we hit record so too bad um is i've never taken more than seven days off unless it's for injury either so i'm contemplating taking a full 10 to two weeks just as a big reset before a push Mm -hmm. and i'm trying to figure out how long is enough how long is too long don't know i don't have answers to these things i was going to say 10 days split the difference 10 days is great you're the one who comes on here and says it takes full 20 days to start eroding your specific fitness in any one realm. And I get on and talk about my three-day rule. As soon as I want it three mm. days in a row, I'm back to it. So combine the two. Take your seven and then start counting. If by 10 you wanted it three days in a row, you're back. And if not, push it all the way out to 20 days if you want. Plus, it's not oh, like you're doing crazy. nothing. You're tramping in and out of the woods carrying all sorts of innocent animal slaughtering equipment. You're good. <laughs> The way you worded that was is not how I look at it. I'm but trying to get some online blowback my, for you. Thank you. I move my body constantly. I just remember back to uh, the year before Robert Killian's last world championship in Spartan in 2019, was it? Is it that long ago? Gosh, time flies. Yeah. But he was so smoked. He was the Spartan race world champion. He's two-time champion. Robert Killian, for any of you who don't know, non-OCR guys and girls out there. But after his 2018 season, he took an entire month off. He's like, I was so smashed from everything. I just needed like my body. He was in his upper 30s, 39, I think at the time. He's like, I just needed a break. And he took a whole month off of running and then like another month or two, you know, and then he started running three weeks before the season started. Three weeks before the season began, he started running, showed up to the first U.S. National Series race, did oddly well, but then had, you know, a building year where he didn't do much all year until it mattered, came on at the end. And I figure, like, Robert Killian wasn't being lazy. He has to be one of the least lazy guys out there, and he has to be one of the most disciplined being an Army Ranger. And if a guy like Robert Killian saw the writing on the wall and was like, I'm going to take a month, I'm going to take a month, and he ends up still being a world champion six months after starting to run again, after taking a big reset, like what's your 10 days? What's 20 days? If you've been grinding for years, like it ended up being a net benefit for him six months later when it came to came to what mattered so I, I keep that in my mind oddly enough him taking that big break i don't know if that stands out to you but it stands out to me 
Well, we hear the stories of people who take time off and defy the odds and come back and smash. There aren't a whole lot of stories out there of, I wish I hadn't taken my prescribed rest because it screwed up my season. Because that doesn't seem to really happen. Yeah, that's a good point. Similar testament to like when women give birth and they give have to, they run almost up to the last week and then they take a few weeks off afterwards and they end up taking four to eight weeks off of running. And yes, they have extra blood volume for a little while and all that, but they're running their best time six months after giving birth. Mm-hmm of their entire career. And a lot of times people say, I just needed a, I needed a rest and it forced me to. So I think there's some Testament credence to that as well, but we don't need to dwell on it. I just wanted to run that by, uh, see what you thought this out with a whimper, sucking my thumb in the corner sort of thing. It tracks. Suck it, Bracken. Shall we, uh, introduce today's episode? Yeah. Episode two. Last week we talked about why boring most often is best unless you absolutely need excitement. Today, we are going to talk about the workouts you do that make no sense. So th- this can mean a lot of different things. The way I initially think of this is if I program a workout for someone and an outside coach would look at it and be like, why is this workout here? This makes no sense. I can't see what mm-hmm. system you're addressing. I can't see how this fits in the flow of building for a PR. This isn't going to optimize anything. Or a workout that I have on my own training plan that... I cannot explain for any other reason than I like it or it makes me feel good or I needed to do something different. So we're taking the boring as best. And now we're going to start talking about the next level of it, which is what are those workouts that you're doing that aren't necessarily boring or don't make any sense in this long sustained progression and why sometimes you shouldn't do them. And other times it might be the best thing for you. Yeah. We're just like a series of walking contradictions on this podcast. We want to tell you one side of the coin and then we just want to flip the coin over and be like, but here's the other side of the coin. And then you just leave super confused. Like, oh no, what do I, do I listen to the last episode or do I listen to the current episode? But the idea is, is I think that one size doesn't fit all with this and we have foundation of principles that we believe in. And I think all of you who've been listening for years understand those. Mm -hmm. However, there's always exceptions to rules. There's always times to look at this uniquely for you. There's always times to go off script or get creative. And so I think today's a little bit more about more about that than anything else. And again, just kind of muddying the waters for you folks out there. Because anything worth pursuing is nuanced, and this is certainly nuanced endurance training. Yeah, and it would be so much different if we weren't dealing with living humans. If this were just a robot or a vehicle, there's really just one set of rules that applies. But as soon as you add in the brain, everything goes out the window at some point. And I had one of the earliest lessons I was taught reading probably, I don't think it was Runner's World, but some online publication was never complete a workout that you don't understand the purpose of. And I really loved that for a long time until I realized that, well, that's that's just opening the door for us to be master manipulators. I can explain away any workout. It just doesn't make sense or not. The purpose of this is to do this, 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 and this, and it's all wrong. But if you can convince yourself that it's right, it's like, well, I know the purpose of my workout. It's a great workout to do. But is it? Maybe yes, maybe no. Today, we're going to talk about that. Yes. Yes, sir. We are. I don't know if you want to... I mean, I have thoughts right away if we want to just dive right into it or if you have another way you want to set this up. No, no, no. But you kind of alluded... Okay. You kind of alluded towards a couple... Yes. Are you wearing a different watch? (laughs) No. (laughs) Do you see with this thing? Yeah. What's happening here? What's going on? So I was I was bow hunting this weekend on Saturday, and for the first time in forever, I chose a pine tree to climb. 
a big, tall, 100-foot pine tree, right? And this is on public land, so you can't, like, drill into the trees or anything. But uh, my steps were so aggressive. They have these claws on them, and I climb mm-hmm. the tree 20 feet, and I get up there. And freaking dug into the bark, and sap starts dripping all over it, like punctured the pine and tree. pine tree is the and worst. And sap's just running down this tree. Oh, it's all over everything I own, my clothes, and it's sapped the front of my watch, and I can't get this stuff off. Freaking sap, dude, on my watch. That's that's what it's from. Okay, I think pissing me off. In Magic Eraser is what we we resorted to to get it off of uh, tent and camper canvas. I don't know how that would work on a watch, but maybe Magic Eraser. All right. Yeah. Anyways, no, not a new watch. Just a really severely tarnished face from a pine tree. All right. Yeah. yeah, I would have told you if I got a new watch, but um, lost my train of thought there. You were just oh, gonna dive in. So I'm diving in. The two ways I look at this are if like we're gonna take two roads, it's like what does this provide you emotionally or mentally? Like, hey, I need a boost, or I just need to feel fast, or I need to grind to know I'm gritty enough today. Versus following your progression. So what does it need to cover for you, like emotionally? Or mm-hmm. mentally. And then the other thing is that whole, like, what does it do uh, metabolically, for example? Like, on paper, this workout seems like an absolute disaster, but I'm still working the things I should be working, even if it's right. not as specific as it needs to be. So it's like, what is this doing to me, like, physically to my body, like, metabolically aerobic stimulus? And then what is it doing for me, like, emotionally or mentally? Like, do I just need this today or something different? to keep positive momentum going. So I look at two roads. Like if you're going to make the decision to do something that makes no sense, you can probably find a way to make it make sense or justify it. If it serves one of those two camps. Yes. You know what I'm saying? I think that's a that's great how I look at it way of start. looking at it because how many of us, either you, myself, anyone we coach or work with, or anyone listening out there is sitting in a place where every variable is accounted for everything is lab measured and they're following the absolute optimized approach for training and that anything else in there, even if it would move the needle mentally or physically would detract from your fitness because you're so finely tuned that you have to stay on plan. How many of those people are out there? A dozen (laughs) in the world. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, not many. There's probably five to 10 times that amount that think they are and aren't because so much of it is almost impossible to pinpoint, but If you just accept the fact that you're not sharpened to the finest tip possible with your training and your fitness, then almost anything that makes you better makes you better, whether that's mentally or physically. So that's, that is one saving grace with doing things that don't make sense, but you have to be able to file it under one of the two. This rounds some part of me out that may not be running specific, but is important or mentally, I need this. I think the mentally, I need this. Like if this is what it's going to take for me to put my shoes on today, or this is what it's going to take for me to put my shoes on with vigor today with maybe excitement or curiosity, which I think approaching workouts with curiosity, I get a lot out of them. Like, Hey, I've never done this before. It's novel. And I'm curious. I'm sick of my thousand meter repeats. I'm sick of my progression. I just need to rattle the cage once. For me, with most of my athletes, that's my deload week. I usually throw something a little different at them that they haven't been doing like every four weeks just to, I don't know, throw them off a little bit. But I think that the main thing is like, I don't know about you, but I've been top of mind these last couple of weeks with just like kind of feeling dull towards training. And I've been doing some oddball things to make sure I still am putting my shoes on and getting in the right work. And so... 
for me, I think that leads the way with like things that don't make sense, but I'm going to do it anyways. And that is much better than half-assing a workout that doesn't excite you or that you just don't end up doing because you don't want to grind in that way today or, or anymore. So that leads the way for my thinking. And then as a side benefit, you're obviously going to work some sort of energy system that's going to move the needle forward. So, um, I don't know about you. What leads the way for you? Like when you think of workouts that don't make sense for your mm -hmm. current state progression, what, what leads the way for you? Like making the decision to do a workout like that? Well, it, it's the same thing. It's mentally or physically. So for example, I am doing two times per week right now, I'm doing a workout that I call leg builder, which is designed around boosting structure, not systems. And so the, the generic version of this that I branch out from is 10 cal, 20 cal, 30 cal, 40 cal, 50 cal, all the way up to 100 in theory on a machine and then alternating with the same number, but for reps of either lunges or monster walk weighted or body weight back and forth of the same. So the, the standard example is 10 cal on the assault bike, 10 walking lunges, 20, 20, 30, 30, up to 100. Uh, one I just did Love recently it. was 10 weighted walking lunges and monster walk into down and back on the football field. And then 20, two laps, 33 laps, 44 laps, that kind of thing. Where if you look at it, if I had to target a system, I would say I'm probably working on the cardio component at aerobic threshold at most. I was running between 620 and 640 pace the whole time. It's not really improving me anaerobically. I'm staying below aerobic threshold. But what I'm really working on is stabilizing my hips, my glutes, my quads while moving with a load on top of me and being able to come up out of the hole at the bottom, fire out with power and make sure all those areas are really strong. My lower back, my hips, my glutes, my quads. So does it make any sense for what my goals are to be a fast 5K runner, to run mountain ultras, to be able to do OCR, to be able to do high rocks maybe, but I don't have, like I'm doing doubles next, which is work hard for 10 to 20 seconds and rest. Instead, I'm, I mean, a, a hundred a set of 100 weighted lunges was at a five minute rep. So it's not really sports specific, but, but I, it means something to me. My body feels good. I know that it's going to allow me to do the things later. So on paper, if, if I told someone I'm going to, I want to PR a 5k in spring, I want to be able to run a good high rocks doubles in six weeks. And I'd like to go after some ultra stuff in the next eight weeks and say, this is not building your fitness on any of those things. But I rest assured knowing that I come out of this block bulletproof. So that's kind of where I start with what I like in the moment right now. That's what, where I think of it for myself personally. Let's explore that a little further Bracken. Okay. Let's, I like to walk down Bracken's line of thought. I, I like to do that to you once in a while. So let's do yes, that do. because we're not being specific enough for helping the well, you 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 set me up to now be more specific to help the audience. Like, why did you decide on doing that? Like, why would that? Why? Like, what what was your decision making process instead of going out and running, let's say a six mile tempo progression mm -hmm. to help you start really working on buffering lactate and getting ready to rip a fast five k? Instead, you damage the legs so much you can't run fast. Correct. And then you're stuck in aerobic threshold. For example, maybe you're breaching that a little, maybe low end of lactate threshold, who knows? But point being, why? What, what was the thought process there? Well, the thought process is that I can snap into fitness relatively quickly and get injured relatively quickly. What I can't do, 
over these last several years is build from block to block sustainably. But anytime I have chained that together, it was preceded by making sure that my, basically my trunk hip girdle area are really strong and secure. The things that have preceded good blocks of training were very structurally strong blocks of training that I can add the spice in whenever we want. People are probably sick of us talking about times. They've heard me say this a million times, but I basically ran two flat in the 800 and 432 in the mile in the same six-week stretch off very little intensive run training because intrinsically that's what I have. That's what my natural skill set is. I'm more fast to which I can sharpen up to speed quickly. That's not my issue. My issue is stamina, both in racing and in long-term sustainability of my training. So at the risk of losing short-term fitness, I'm investing in long-term fitness. And a lot of people would say, well, get start building up your, your running volume, do a lot of non-impact cardio. I'm doing those things, but... I'm too fragile. I'm too fragile to rely on build up my volume slowly and have that build my body. I need more load on my on my structure is what I've found. When I lift my lower body and I do a lot of functionally semi-body weight, semi-loaded exercises, I stop getting injured. Yeah, you're an old man now, so I get it. Yeah. Now, and then the thought process, and I know we've, God, we've beaten this to death, which is a bad saying. I should come up with a different one, beating it to, like, that... Who uses that? Think about We've that. We've exhausted literally. this topic. We've exhausted this topic. Uh, is the fact that you put in, oh, God, how long would that workout take you? I don't know. An hour? No, not quite an hour. Well, Depending on yeah. what, how long what that workout take you're you? using for the calories, it's anywhere yeah. from 40 to 70 minutes. Right. So let's just say an hour. Yep. You spent an hour working in some sort of cardio cardiovascular output capacity under mm-hmm. duress and put in, I guess, well, no miles, right? This is a, this is a, on a the football bike field, session. If you go all the way to 100, it, or if you did tenths of a mile rather than cals, it's 5.5 miles. Okay. You got 5.5 miles in, and you got 10 miles, 8 to 10 miles worth of time in. Correct. It's like more bang for your buck, right? And I think uh, for one sense, approaching it, Approaching things outside of the box that don't make sense necessarily for t- just a longevity standpoint, mm-hmm. you're going to find as like athletes get older, you find more and more of this. Well, I do this and I do that, and my running only adds up to 30 miles a week, but I'm really doing 60 miles of volume, or I'm sneaking it in other ways. And somehow you're like, why is this 45-year-old woman so good? And it's like, well, because they haven't been injured for a decade. And even though nothing they're doing is impressively standing off, jumping off the paper as far as run volume or metrics – They haven't had to deviate from center with training for so long because of an example that you just gave us, working systems while taking very little run damage, saving yourself Mm -hmm. for tomorrow and another day, so to speak. So I think for me, that leads the way the most with that decision for me personally, if I were to make that one. Yeah. Now, if I did this as my tune-up workout for my last two Saturdays before a competition, it wouldn't make any sense. I'd come in with all this muscular fatigue and no sharpness. If I gave this to someone who was just trying to get faster, it wouldn't make any sense. But in the confines of certain builds, it makes a lot of sense, even though, like when I did this building up to the Tennessee mile, I did this for seven straight weeks. I didn't run for five of them during the workout. It was all machine work. And then I started hiking uphill for the in-between. I started doing feet of vert for my cardio. I was training for a six-hour running race 
And one of my two biggest workouts of the week was not running because running speed wasn't ever going to be my issue. Mm -hmm. Well, let me uh, check the other side of the box for you. Yeah, let's talk speed. Well, sure. Let's talk speed. So I think we all go through training doldrums, right? Mm -hmm. Whether you don't have something on your calendar. So it's like, oh, what's the point right now? Or life is busy or you get sick or you're beat down from work or the season's been a long season. We're sitting here talking to you guys. It's the first week in October, and some of you have been at it since January, April at the latest, probably got ramped up. And now we're just like to that point where we're spread a little thin. Novelty of the season's worn off. Next season seems so far away. Point being is motivation can be low this time of year for people. Discipline can seem to be fleeting. And sometimes just like getting working is sort of like what you're resorted to. But nothing sounds exciting. For me, emotionally, I had 10 miles left to hit last Saturday to achieve 40 miles for the week. I figure if I'm running 40 miles a week, supplementing with a little bit, there's vert in there as well, right? Like I might have one vert workout. And so who knows? Maybe I'm running equivalent of 50 miles a week, somewhere in there. Point being, last thing I want to do is run Saturday. I was out camping. It was rainy. I had nothing. I got nothing in the future other than my compulsive habit of needing to put my shoes on and get out the door, right? Mm -hmm. And so what did I do? I said, the thought of running 10 miles is so dreadful right now. And I don't go through these periods very often. We just had a conversation where I was saying, like, no, you just show up and do it. The decision's made the day before and be a badass. And I still chose to do working out. But I said, there's no way I have the mental capacity for 10 miles of just slogging today. So I drug my butt to the track that was in town close to the campsite. And I ran 200 meters on, 200 meters off. For absolutely no reason, with nothing on the calendar that would justify that workout, I started at 520-mile pace. Like mm-hmm. that for four, 200s for me is walking, we will call it. And I just suddenly clicked them off, and I was seven miles into that run eventually. I was like, oh, thank God. That was like it took care of my running ADD and my apathy towards going out and just another boring podcast listening to another boring run to just check the mileage box. You know what happened is things opened up and I actually ripped a couple 29s at the end. I tricked myself into it and 10 miles went by so quickly. And I don't even know what purpose it served other than the fact that it got me through it and it got it done. And I Mm -hmm. figured in case I jump in something, I got a little speed in me now that I maybe didn't touch recently. But the point being, that was an emotional purpose. It was like, what is my way from point A to point B and making this the least painful possible. For most of you, maybe it would be just going out and running easy. For me, there's nothing worse than running easy and slow and having to do it for duration. Oh, it's I loathe it. So I changed the script and it yeah. got me through it and I left feeling invigorated. And so point being, in that circumstance, I had done a quality session the day before. I didn't need to be doing that, but minimal damage. Yeah. And it got me through a run that I didn't want to do. So there would be my example recently. I don't know what purpose it served. I went in and out of threshold by the end of it. You could justify that. And I got (laughs) some speed turnover. But um, that was a pure emotional decision that I pivoted that morning just so I would do it. Yeah, and that's it. You checked the the mental side, which Mm -hmm. someone might say, it doesn't matter how you feel about your workout. You're not allowed to have emotion about it. It just gets done. And that person would be you, right? That's that's the type of thing mm-hmm. you've said before. However, oh, yeah. the the other side to that coin 
is that true, you can get through that workout <clears throat> doing it and you may have just ha hastened up your burnout. You could get through any one workout, but at some point we're all in danger of falling out of love or falling out of pattern. And mm -hmm. we've all seen the people that fall out of it. There's no guarantee you ever get back. And so if you have to buffer things with nonsensical practices to stay in love or to stay in the pattern, then it's 100% worth it. If that one day buys you two or three more weeks, can you put a price on that? Probably not. And it certainly didn't cost you fitness. I don't know if it springboarded your fitness forward, but it didn't make right. you any worse. No one workout will make you any worse unless it causes injury, burnout, or falling out of love. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I don't know if you get this from your athletes, because I know we run a different athlete model. I check in a little more electronically, have one call a month with maybe half of my athletes. And then, and I know you do maybe more frequent calls, but this time of year I've been getting, um, I just didn't, I cut the workout short. I cut it in half or I pushed Tuesday. I didn't want to do it. And I pushed it all the way back to Thursday and then this, or I just, my body was so beat up from Killington that I just like, I didn't even follow your script this week. Mm -hmm. I just didn't. And I, and the athletes, I feel like say it with the tail between their legs, like rubbing their nose in it right a little bit. And they're expecting me to push back and be like, you're a loser. You're not disciplined. Suck it up. And in fact, if this is happening infrequently, I say, I'm so glad you told me what happened. Thank you for listening to your body. Your athlete to intuition is generally right in these circumstances. And pivoting from the master plan was the exact right thing to do this week. And in fact, I'm going to pat you on the back for not following my prescription. Yeah. I sent that email out like three times last week. Now, if there's an athlete who repeats this pattern and right history starts to repeat itself and pretty soon it's frequently going deviating from plan, that's different. But I think in this circumstance, like allowing yourself the grace to go just pursue something shiny or even something so dull, but at least it gets you there. I think is very valuable. Again, not making a regular habit. I'm not saying, and I think you're agreeing, you'll agree with this, like not deviating from the plan or doing these workouts that make no sense for where you're at in your training phase. Don't do that all the time. But when it happens, I think you just listen to your intuition there because you yeah. want to have vigor for training. You want to have excitement. Yes, we go through doldrums, but I think allowing yourself that grace and freedom to play, if you want to use that word with your workouts, I think keeps you in the game. And so um, you're not a failure if you pivot this way is what I'm getting at some, once in a while. Right. That's exactly it. If I took a look at your training plan and saw this threshold, long run, threshold, quality, long run, threshold, hill work, threshold, long run, and then you had 200 on, 200 off for 10 miles, and then it moved on from there. I'd be like, what is this workout doing here? It doesn't really, it's not fast enough and short enough to serve the purpose of speed development. Uh, rest is too long to really be a threshold workout. 200 meter jog is going to take you at least two minutes. If you walk it, it's going to take double to triple that. So it's not, you, you're, you're allowing way too much homeostasis to return in between reps for it to be really a systemic workout. And if you want to allow that much time in between, you got to be working way harder so that you severely spike your lactate production and then have to clear it out. Let's choose something else. That doesn't make any sense there. And that would be correct. Except I'm missing the one piece, which is I didn't want to work out and I wanted to get a workout in. And this workout allowed me to do that. Got 10 miles in. And I'd say, oh, fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> way, to, way to fudge the system. You got it done. But no, that wouldn't make sense from the offset. I have a, not a similar workout, but for speed, 
people always talk about what's your favorite way of sharpening up speed? And I think it's a funny question because most people didn't run high level track. And I wouldn't say we ran high level, but we ran mid level track, college D1 and D3. We sampled what high level track could look like. And as a result, we did a lot of speed work and then we did a lot of sharpening. And so the things that we believe to be best practice in our experience and those around us that sharpen you up to go from a 410 mile to a 405 or from a 151 800 to a 148, those kind of things that sharpen pretty good speed that 99% of the population will never see to even better speed aren't applicable to the everyday athlete because it wouldn't sharpen you. It would hurt you. Going and spiking up and running 10 by 200 really fast with 100 meter walk in between wouldn't help anyone. So it's it's kind of a funny question. Like, how do I sharpen up my speed? It's like, I don't know. Show me what you've been doing the last 12 weeks and I'll give you something that kind of bridges mm-hmm. the gap between best practice and what you're doing. But my favorite thing to do is the acceleration workout. I've talked about it on here before. You run 100 meters at slightly slower than your goal or present mile pace. And then you run 110, 120, 130, 140, 150, 160, 170, 180, 190, 200. And every 10 meters, you get nine tenths more of a second to get there. So let's say you run 16 seconds through the first 100. You turn and slow jog back. And then you run 110 at 16.9. And then 120 at 17.8 and it keeps going like that and by the end if you started at 16 flat you've added nine seconds on and you're at 25 flat for the last 200 so it goes from a very casual this was a spiked up session in college for a bunch of guys running between 410 and 415 in the mile 420 pace or 418 pace i think that would be 416 pace for 100 meters with a 100 walk jog recovery back is pedestrian But by the end, 25 second 200 is very fast. And you're just buffering your fatigue as you go along and taking as much time to dawdle back as you need in between reps. But each rep gets progressively more intense and slightly faster. But you have to stay relaxed through the previous distance and then kind of accelerate through each time. So it was a very fun workout. And I can't really pinpoint exactly like the systemic benefit of it Mm -hmm. compared to a standard interval session. But it was one of those workouts that we would run and just leave the workout feeling like we're ready to go PR or qualify for nationals, Mm -hmm. which I never did. I PR, but I never qualify for nationals. But it didn't change the fact that if we had a pick at the end of the year, what this final workout wants to be before a race, we'd all choose the acceleration workout. Every single time. Mm. Biomechanical so I, efficiency for sure. Running for fast sure. and relaxed for sure. Systemically, not a lot of – you're not moving the VO2 max needle very far or anything in that circumstance. But Your longest rep is 25 struck, seconds. Yeah. A third of your reps happen less than 140 meters and at mile pace or slower. So again, a, a mm-hmm. coach would look at that and be like, I'm not entirely sure. And yet our coach knew – Everyone PRs after running this workout and it's probably mental as much as physical. And so that's what it was. And that's what I go Mm. back to. If I just want to sharpen up my speed and feel fast, I run that because I get a ton of reps that are short enough not to injure me, but fast enough to turn over and force myself to stay relaxed, but fast. And so it's a workout I go to. I love it. And yet I couldn't defend that workout in a court of law for why it's better than other workouts physically, because it's not. But I don't have to defend it for the physicality. Mm. I defend it for what it makes me feel, which is fast, relaxed, and dangerous. And so that's what I go with. 
Well, it checks one of the two boxes that we've created. 100%. What is it physically accomplishing? What is it emotionally accomplishing? I would argue it's accomplishing both. Yes. Uh, what, what I think, you know what I think? I think three out of four workouts we should be able to take a look at. I'm just approximating and say, yep, I understand that. I understand mm -hmm this float workout, why it's positioned here six weeks out from the marathon. Or I understand the 22 mile long run four weeks out because it's peak week or whatever it is. But I think one out of those four don't really need to check the logical box. I think curiosity should lead the way. I think just novelty is so fleeting in our sport. We run the same routes from home every day. I go out my door and I had one of two directions, right? I got the same six routes and everybody complains about how boring the running is around their house. And it's like nothing is new very often, right? right? Like really it's not. We are creatures of habit and even we get bored of our own habits. And I think if one out of four quality sessions is something where you go, I don't even know what this is going to do to me. I don't even know what's going to be a good metric or a bad metric. I just need this to build my confidence or whatever it might be. So be it. That's what yes. I think. I think if one out of four doesn't make a lot of logical sense, but checks a, a metabolic stimulus or an emotional stimulus box, there you go. And I find the workouts that don't make the most sense typically are faster reps, more rest. And it's for somebody who just needs some confidence. Like so many people that are building their run volume and their run, their top end potential. I don't know about you. I got a number of people who have found running in the last two to four, two years, let's say. And they're just like, you know, they get tired of going out and grinding. And they're just like, I feel so slow and everything's like kind of grindy. And like, you know what you need? Let's go rip some 400s with three minutes rest. Let's do that. Let's go run fast. You deserve this. Let's build some confidence instead of the grind, which is really important to building your ability to race well, the thresh, spending time and threshold. I think confidence-wise, letting people see fast paces, fast metrics, giving yourself that bone once in a while, those are the workouts that actually don't make the most sense on paper. Like, why is that here? Why are you running 200-meter reps when your A race is 10 weeks away? Because I needed to. Yep. I think it goes a long ways, the confidence thing. I don't know what you th what your thoughts are on that, but for me, if I'm deviating, I just need to feel good. I need to feel fast. And I need to be not dreading 30 minutes of threshold effort. For me, yeah. that's what it is. And I find the case for others. I think it's, I'm, I think it's funny that you, you said that. If, if three out of four makes sense and one out of four just fills your cup, that's great. Because what I was going to say at some point in this was I believe it should reflect your split of aerobic and anaerobic training. We talk 80-20. I find that I'm a 70-30 guy roughly. 70% is aerobic work. 30% is anaerobic. We spend a lot of time talking about the anaerobic, but like our bread and, and butter, our meat and potatoes is our, is our aerobic development work, 100%. But I think that the intensity of your intentionality of your workouts can follow that same thing. If I'm a 70-30 guy, I think 70% of those quality workouts should also make progressional sense. I don't know if that's even a term, progressional sense. And then 30% can be fill your cup. And what is that? If 30% is three out of 10, and you're saying one out of four, that's 25%. We're kind of in the same range here without having discussed this one time. If you're an 80-20 guy, you're doing one out of five. Don't make sense, but they feel. So I don't know if there's a direct correlation there, but somewhere around in there, mm -hmm. is you have room because you're not this finely tuned athletic specimen that 
if you deviate, is going to explode. We're all about following the proper progression and keeping it boring and simple and trackable, but we're humans and we need to enjoy the process. So finding out what is that amount I need to do. For me, you're right. It's about one out of four, one out of five at certain points of the year. There are times I can go 20 mm -hmm. for 20. And then that 21st, I got to change. And there are times where it's like every other week I find myself changing my Saturday run just because I want to. I think yeah. that's okay. I think, I think Matt Fitzgerald's 80-20 principle could just be across the board for life. Like 80% of the time I eat well and 20% of the time I eat like junk. And that's a nice balance for sustainability. 80% of the time I run easy and 20% I do quality. 80% of the time I do a perfectly curated and calculated workout. And 20% of the time I roll the dice. Like I think you could just blanket statement. We could yeah. we could make a series of 80-20 Matt Fitzgerald-esque books on every avenue of life. And you could probably be like, yeah, I can get behind that. And I just yeah. think purposefulness with your sessions very much like you said falls into that. I think – on the other side of the coin, the uh, metabolic stimulus. Do you want to wrap something up? I see you're getting slack jawed on me. I'm getting tired. I know tired. you do that when you want to say this something. This is day one of standing oh, during okay. podcast, and I'm just I'm, I'm hitting my 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 ceiling for what I can tolerate here. I've been standing. Bracken's got himself a standing minutes. setup. Picture this, guys. For the last four years, four four years, almost four years, Bracken has been on a wood bar stool when he will call it a bar stool when he records these podcasts no back hard bony butt on a hard bony or woody stool and bracken's decided that he's ditching that ergonomically friendly setup for a standing situation <laughs> testing it out i'm at the point now where it's not fun being out here anymore but the workout's not done i gotta bear down and finish out mm. You should just get yourself a better chair as well. I like the standing concept, but that explains. I also have okay. some, uh, what I was gonna some long time on feet things in my future, and I think I could benefit from a little bit more non-sitting time throughout my day. All right. Fair enough. Um, speaking to the metabolic side of things. Yes. Um, the other side of play, the 20%, let's call it, if we're just going to go with that, um, is like running doesn't sound good today, or it's raining outside, or winter's going to be here soon, and it's like, ugh, I don't want to go on the treadmill again. It's zero degrees and negative 30 with wind chill. Like, what can I do, right? You see a whole host of wonderfully accomplished trail runners, ski all winter. They go to cross-country skiing and other mm -hmm. ventures and run a third or a quarter of the time that they typically were before. It's just simply replacing, like, if for some reason you need to play, figuring out, okay, what's going to get me close to the aerobic stimulus and time in those with an elevated heart rate that I would get on my two-hour long run, and go ahead and find a version of that in which excites you. And maybe it is. Maybe it's the uh, overseas soccer game, football game is on, and you want to sit on your assault bike and watch it. Great. If that's more exciting for you every five long runs to go and do that instead, like you're spending time in zone and you can justify that. Mm -hmm. Checking your heart is going to be doing the same thing, whether you're on your assault bike, you're out cross-country skiing, or you're choosing your long run. And so just finding a way to be like, okay, what was the purpose of these – this workout or what should I be checking today? Well, here's my version of that. And if you pivot to that once in a while, I mean, just grinding, sitting on the assault bike is just one very simple example. There's plenty more elaborate ones. Or yeah. if it's like, hey, I just don't have the attention span today and I missed a lift earlier in the week. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do Metcon style, hop on and off the treadmill and do some play in the gym and go back and forth for two straight hours at an aerobic effort. If that's what it takes to get it done, 
like on paper, you'd look and say that's a hodgepodge because you can't lift as much weight because you're having aerobic high heart rate. So you're not going to be getting huge strength raw power benefits. Your running is going to be compromised because you're shunting blood to other areas of your body and you're going to be hitting that fatigued. So what is this really doing? Well, it got me two hours today. What do you mean? What is this really doing? Right. Kept me in the game. So I think yeah. I just wanted to make sure maybe we just dabbled with that side of the conversation too. Yeah. At the end of the day, getting a workout in is better than missing a workout. It's not a hall pass to do whatever you want and blame it on, oh, I think I would have skipped otherwise. If you if you use it as a crutch and it becomes your pattern, it's bad. Almost no matter what the thing is. But 100%. when in doubt, if I can't just bring myself to do something, do something else. Just do something else. So what I want to wrap with today is identifying workouts that actually don't make sense. We've talked about why you can make them sense. If they make sense physically, if why you can make them sense, <laughs> why you can make them make sense. If they make sense physically or mentally. But there are times where someone tells you of a workout they're doing and I can't make any sense of it mentally or physically. And I'm going to give you an example. So there was back in the day, early on in OCR, people were coming to this from all different sides of, of sports, from tons of different backgrounds. And many of them, most of them didn't really understand how to get better at OCR, but almost everything makes you better early on. And so there was someone I was talking to and they said, oh, I did my last big workout before this race. And it was just a huge OCR sim session to get ready for this. I was like, oh, interesting. Because I love building out sim sessions. What was it? Like I did 225 times 10 on the deadlift and I'd sprint to 400. And then I did 20 kettlebell swings and 15 kipping pull-ups. And then I did 25 power cleans with 135. And then I ran a mile. It's like, so what did that, what, what, what were you trying to set up there? Like, well, I just get... You know, it's hard for me to transition in and out of obstacles and the running is just so tough for me. So I had to make sure I got some fast. I wanted to get some fast running in, but you just got to have so much strength out on course. I thought, okay, I, w I would have been willing to accept a couple answers there, but that's not one that I'll accept. I don't believe that to be true. I think that if you are a power-based athlete who is convinced that strength is your wheelhouse, that you don't need to work on strength six days out from the race as your big main mover workout. You already have it in abundance. And if running is your weakness and you need more speed, one 400 and one mile isn't gonna cut it for you. Now, if you had said what I really struggle with is lower back fatigue, like the bucket carry destroys my lower back, my lower back and I didn't have access to a bucket, a ton of deadlift, bunch of power clean, using my lower back engaged with heavy weight and then trying to run, I would have accepted that, but I would have said maybe we could modify the reps and add more running in or something like that, but it didn't move the needle systemically. You almost didn't get better at all from a, a 90 minute race perspective from a running standpoint. And you did a bunch of lifting, but you're already strong. So it wasn't big enough to make you stronger and you don't need to get stronger. And you weren't doing it to like mentally suffer. That would have been my other, like if this was two weeks out and I just wanted to suffer, I wanted to get through 25 reps of power clean after already having done 25 deadlifts at a heavy enough weight to fatigue me and then make myself get my form back together and run compromised. Maybe I'd accept that, but you didn't mention mental once. So it doesn't fill your cup mentally or make you tougher or just know that I can sit in the hurt and it didn't make you a better runner or lifter. And it was your final workout before a race. I would say that's just a workout that doesn't make any sense and you should not have done right before this race. So that that that's example one of a workout that I can't I can't make sense. Of. I can't make it make sense where they did it and why they did it. What if their reasoning was, you know, I just this 
strength is my strength. And I wanted to do a workout that made me feel good about my fitness before the race. What if that was their answer? Because a lot of times people yeah. pick workouts that make themselves feel good about their fitness before a race. I see people do that often. What mm -hmm. would you say to that person if that was their answer? I'd say, sure. If that makes you feel good about your fitness, sure. But I really hope that in the weeks leading up to it, in the few days after, you were really addressing the actual systemic needs of this race. Which this person wasn't. This was the crux of their training was this kind of work. And then they, they did a very poor job in the back half of any race they went to. But if they could But is this started, a real person? Is this oh, yeah. a real example? This or is, is this a real just, example. Oh, this is I thought real. you were just making this up. No, okay. I mean the I workout John probably, Doe. This was probably eight years ago, so I probably got some pieces mm. of it. But it was heavy deadlift, higher up power clean, kipping pull-ups, and two standalone runs, one partway through and one at the end. And uh, they never once said it makes me feel good. They, they said they went about it for a specific race purpose. And maybe had they been preparing for TMX or High Rocks, even then I could have maybe accepted it. But they weren't. It was for like a mountain 13-mile OCR race, which in a, in a Spartan race, which was the only game in town back then, outside of the heavy carries, there's not a single obstacle that takes you longer than 15 or 20 seconds. So 25 right. reps of 225 deadlift serves no purpose on course. So that would be one example of... A workout that if you look down on your paper and you couldn't explain it systemically or from the mental side, there's no real purpose for it, especially at that point in your training plan. Yeah, speaking of Spartan being the only game in town, they might be back to that after buying everything up, huh? <laughs> Spartan's going to be the only game in town again. I had an athlete this weekend at New Jersey um, take fifth, fifth in their age group. Mm-hmm in the beast and that same time would have placed them fifth overall in elite for the for the men that's wild huh? it, it is wild you never would have seen that in the past it goes to show that spartan's got one good thing going for him it is their it is their age group competitive yep. series highly competitive great thing going everything else has fallen by the wayside that's neither here or there though but it reminded me of that with spartan acquiring ocrwc uh, which is this upcoming weekend actually we could have done an episode for that but we're in the middle of this mini series bracken so sorry guys that's right all right do you have examples um, of workouts that you can't like it's a workout that doesn't make sense and it actually doesn't make sense that's where i was just gonna go with this okay. so let's wrap by shooting off shooting off our workouts okay uh, ones of examples. Um, what I'm going to just, I'm not stealing this from you cause I firmly believe I've done this before you, but your style, your ladder style is so wonderful with absolutely everything. And it does a great job of either filling the threshold window. If you hit it hard enough for duration or the long run window, if you hit it aerobically, I mean, I have done the hundred burpees, hundred cal assault bike or hundred burpees, one mile run all the way down 90 0.9 or 90 calories all the way down or you could do a ladder 10 to 50 50 back down to 10 you could do a whole variety of things like that but i like that one for replacing depending on your intensity could be anything your movements could be lunges they could be a push-up pull-up a push-up pull-up combo it could be anything but the ladder style does a good job because you can pick a scheme and you can work at the appropriate intensity. I can get myself and stay in threshold if I hit something, pick two movements that are intense enough and keep mm -hmm. it short enough duration. Or I can keep my attention span for 90 minutes and go hit something grindy. So I've done a number of those ladder style sessions that really make no sense. Like, what are you doing? Well, how, you don't even do Spartan anymore. Why are you doing burpees? I don't know, but I feel wrecked afterwards, and I kept my heart rate up for literally 75 minutes. Mm -hmm. So 
it worked. So I'm going to lead with that, which you led with, but the ladder style with any movement and any aerobic modality is wonderful. And they tend to go pretty quick too, while still being a grind. So that's my first go-to that like doesn't make sense on paper. All right. I'm going to go the opposite direction and go with something that doesn't make sense, period. Worked with an athlete who, All right. who started telling me, I am just too beat up to do our Saturday quality session. I'd like to have a little bit less of the things we talked about needing to work on in there. And I was trying to figure it out why. And what it turned out is on their Friday run before their Saturday, we had built it up to about 70 minutes because this individual is prepping for an ultra 70, 75 minutes for the easy work. They had started wearing their race shoes and running easy everything and hammering every descent to try to get some extra time in the shoes, break the shoes in and make sure they were ready for the pounding of race day so that they could work on the systems the next day. So the next day we hadn't put the label pounding. We had put system work we're working on. So I'm not, I'm just going to take a pounding because downhill, my heart rate doesn't get up as much anyway. That's a workout that just doesn't make any sense. There's no reason to race your descents on easy days if they are costing you your quality days. No reason whatsoever to wear your race shoes on easy days if they beat you up so much that it's costing you your long run or your quality run the next day. There's no rhyme or there's no way to present that to me that I will say that is a better session to work aerobically the whole time and then hammer two and a half miles down the mountain and be trashed the next day. Was it checking the confidence box? Yeah, but the next day was going to build that with a point of emphasis on systems. So you could have checked it better the next day, but you cost yourself the A workout for a D workout that gave you confidence. And what was the reasoning behind it? Get used to the race shoes, break them in, and take some downhill pounding. Well, if that was a box that needed extra checking, you can still make sense of it once you know check the whole it picture. The next day in a full quality session, but he couldn't do the full quality session the next day because on the aerobic run the day before, trashed himself in the last two and a half miles. So he got, let's call it 70 minutes of work, 50 minutes aerobically, the last 20 cost him the next 90 minute session the next day, which was designed to check all those boxes. I, I just, I can't make sense of it. I, I would say that you should not implement a workout like that. Hold on. This was, they decided to do this on their own. Correct. I assigned a 70 to oh, 75 minute easy mountain run the day prior to a I was, quality session. I was taking this as you told them to do this. <laughs> no, 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 no. And then I, no, I was, <laughs> yeah. So I was like, what is he trying to get at? Where is, where is his glass going to become half? Full? Okay. Not, I was confused. Maybe the listeners were too. Okay. Oh, okay. I, I was really waiting for you to get to your point there. Nope. Your point's been gotten to. I didn't know okay. how you were going to spin that. Continue. Gotcha. And then, and then <laughs> okay. another one. It's like the same year. It was a different athlete, but they started talking about how our speed work wasn't making them hurt enough. So they had to get more hurt <clears> in. <throat> so they changed the speed session to instead of running set intervals, they ran as hard as they could for as long as they could until they started to blow up and die and then would jog easy for 60 seconds and do that again, making it as far as they could each time. So it was like six minutes, then three minutes, then one minute, then 30 seconds, then 10 seconds. Maximum effort each time rather than like 10 by three minutes that we were doing with 60 seconds rest. They kept the rest but went max effort on every single rep because they found that when the race starts to get really tough, they don't have enough left to get to dig deep. That's an example of a workout that 
I understand your rationale, but it's not accomplishing the mental side that you think it is, and it's not accomplishing the physical side that, well, maybe it's accomplishing what you think is a physical side, but that's not what's happening on race day. Well, that's a workout in which you're ending in failure every time. And there are workouts I assign where, (laughs) right, where the idea is like, hey, a progression run. Let's start at seven minute pace and progress 10 seconds per mile until you feel like you're racing to reach pace and pull the plug. I Mm -hmm. prescribe that one all the time, for example, but not every week. And then, yes, rubbing your nose in that repeatedly would be tough. That reminds me of the critical velocity test that Nike does where yes. I believe it's three minutes. And it's you started a dead sprint. You, the point is is to run as, like, literally as fast as you can from the gun, and pretty soon you're just at a shuffle maxed out because you've way miscalculated your effort for three minutes. And it's just supposedly one of the most miserable, awful tests in the world. And I think it determines pacing for something. I don't remember what, but Ian very Olson presented it to us. And as he explained it, I Correct. didn't get it. Well, that I got the fact that you literally have a three-minute rep, and they say go, and you sprint off the line like it's 100 meters. But then you're forced yes. to continue on through three minutes and cover as much distance as possible with that approach. I got that. I didn't understand how they calculated and what they calculated off of it. But anyways, reminds me of doing that to yourself. It sounds so. What it looked like is this was probably a twenty-minute 5K runner who ran the first several for the first minute of the first six-minute rep at five-minute pace, and then faded to six and seven, and then blew up and rested sixty-second and started over with that. Just like it's, it's, you can't, I can't, I can't make rhyme or reason of this thing, and it's not helping you, but it is setting you back. Like, why are you doing that? I think any time doesn't make sense. I think any time an athlete is walking and it's not planned, I think is a super big no-no negative hit to the entire deal. If you want to walk on a recovery run, great. If that's part of your plan, run 60 seconds, walk 60 seconds. Mm -hmm. I think those who willy-nilly choose to go from a run to a walk make it so easy for themselves to make those same decisions in races or to go from hard to easy efforts. Mm-hmm. Once you grease that groove of just like, I just started walking. I don't even know why. It started to hurt a little and I just started walking. It's a really bad habit to get into. And also getting into the point where like it starts to suck so bad that you just walk. Like, And that's your determining factor of when you run and walk. Like this person's example of their workout is. It just builds a really, really bad habit in my opinion. Mm-hmm. There's one time right, I like note. it, and that's okay. when you're working on, as VJ would have called it back in the day, mechanical threshold. I'm going to run this feeling stride until it tells me I can't sustain it, and then I'm going to rest a prescribed amount and try it again. And you'll make it less distance each rep. I'm okay with mm-hmm. that one specific style of run. And there might be others that people could convince me of that I haven't heard of or that I'm not thinking of. But I get you. Running till failure to teach yourself to handle pain and race better. And then take 60 seconds and do it again, times like five or six, is one of the most brutal sounding things I can think of and is entirely unsustainable and unhelpful. Sounds horrible. Yeah. Um, All right. What else do we want to throw out there? Hopefully this has been helpful. I think what we're giving you is a hall pass every once in a while to listen to your intuition. I think more than anything, what this comes down to is listening to your intuition. Do our intuitions misguide us occasionally? Of course they do. We're not all perfect. But as an athlete, you are more in touch with your physical and probably emotional relation to your physical being than anybody else on the planet, runners in particular. Mm -hmm. If your intuition is telling you, 
I need to do a nonsensical workout to get through today, or I, my body can't take the repetitive motion of running the roads again, so I'm going to go do something different, or I'm just not stimulated by the thought of this workout and I'm feeling burnt. Those intuitions are usually right, and I trust you more with your intuitive reasoning than others because we're so in touch with that aspect of ourselves, at least ideally. So I think the overarching theme here, I believe, is listening to your intuition every once in a while. If it's not feeling right to follow the same process, give yourself a hall pass to change the script as a one-off every four or five sessions. And you're yes. going to be no worse for it. In fact, you'll be better because we're progressing forward and we're checking a box that needs to be checked. And so that's my big summation of, I would say, our conversation. Yeah. Yeah. I think that if you can check physicality or mentality as the reason for why you need to adjust it, that gives you permission to consider adjusting it. But that in this whole progression, in this whole scope of how you, how often you do this, you have to choose the minimum effective dose, which is if I only need to change one out of every five to stay happy in progressing, choose that. Choose that one. Don't start with three out of every – don't progress up to three, two or three or four because you find yourself doing it because it's more interesting. But if one fills your cup and two is awesome, three or four isn't going to be so much better that it's worth shortcutting the process. It might lead right. you to burning out just as quick as doing none would. So choose the least amount early on to keep your motivation going, and you can always add a second later if you have to. But don't start with the maximum effective dose right away. Start with the minimum. Yes, sir. Um, I got nothing else. What about you? That's it. Next I will week. say for those of you listening, oh, I was going to say good luck to those racing at OCRWC. Mm-hmm. Personal curiosity has me um, – I'm – I'm kind of on the edge of my seat to see how this weekend goes. The location, the venue, the altitude, uh, U.S. run world championship event, just super curious. So good luck to you guys. I'll be very curious as the feedback for those who are participating. I'm excited for everyone to do this. It's it's just like the uh, the last one that was run, the FISO OCR World Championship. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter if it's my jam or not. The fact that it gets some of the best people together and they get to all throw down and find out, it's a wonderful thing. Yeah, I don't have a list of who's going out to Mammoth on the top end either. I'm not exactly sure. You're going to have to watch Race Brain tomorrow. <laughs> oh, I will have to watch Race Brain tomorrow. Big draft Miss you guys. Miss you guys. All right, folks. Thanks for listening. We'll get you another interview later this week.